0: There we go. All right. So let us read now together, beginning at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you'll be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. As we stated, the title of our sermon is The Blessings of Knowing God. And the main theme of the message is that God gives the blessings of grace, peace, and godliness. And we're going to see that he does this in verses 1 through 3 through our knowledge of him and Jesus his son. And then in verse 4, through the rich promises that we possess in Christ. And so think about how in knowing Christ, we know that we have great blessing. And then in Christ and through his word, he has given us many promises, many uh, ideas, and um, Clues about what our salvation contains. But we will have an eternity, but even what we do possess right now in Christ. And so we're going to look at this together to understand many of the blessings of, of knowing God. Second uh, Peter is written to the Christians who are part of the dispersion of the various provinces in Asia Minor. And so Peter is writing to Christians who are you know apart from their homeland right now. And so they really needed these words of encouragement. They needed to know the blessings of knowing God, because under persecution they had to flee their homeland and think especially about the Jewish Christians who were living. Um, They had the temple, now Christ has come, that era, that time is passing away, and now they're dispersed throughout. Many other Jewish uh, people did not come to Christ, but rejected him as the Messiah. Uh, there's Gentiles coming to faith, but they're living among pagan Gentiles and they're polytheistic many gods And so there's, there's a lot of stress and duress for the people that Peter is writing to here. And so his his um, epistle here is to, to encourage them and also to warn them about false teaching that was creeping into the church at that time. Uh, the book of Jude says that these false teachers have already come. And Second Peter says they, they are coming and they're already you know, about, to, about to enter in. And so false teaching is lurking about and it's, it's right there at the threshold. And so Peter is writing to help guide the Christians who are far away from what they know, far away from the other people of God. It's like an isolated church on an island surrounded by wickedness. That's sort of the picture of what's going on here. Uh, and so he's writing, Peter's writing to them to persevere in the faith and not be led away by these false teachers. And we as Christians need this exhortation today as well. In a real sense, we are exiles on earth. Uh, We do not have a lasting city here, as the book of Hebrews says. Uh, On the one hand, we know that in Christ, God's kingdom in a real sense is here on earth, but it won't be fully realized and fully accomplished until Christ returns. And so there's this kind of tension where we can see the kingdom of God and his blessing's breaking in in our lives and perhaps in our communities, even as well, but it 's mixed with sin. the devil's still prowling about like a roaring lion, and so we need encouragement to to press on and in this um, in these verses here we we really get an idea of the Christian life, our sanctification process uh, and in also in verses five through eleven, which we 're not going to focus on, per se, but it is connected to these first four verses. We see uh, all this fruitful growth that we need in the faith. And so we're going to touch on that some as we go through as well. Uh, but the analogy that I kind of came up with that might help us to to think about what this Christian walk and growth looks like, and as we try to understand the blessings of God and all that we have in him, is sort of the, the caterpillar when he's transitioning into a butterfly. Um, it's not necessarily a beautiful process, right? Our, our growth as a Christian is kind of three steps forward, two steps back. It's a challenge. It's a difficulty. And yet the end is glorious. The butterfly is a glorious creature, certainly compared to the caterpillar. And so our glory, our destination in Christ when he returns is going to be one of glory. So we've got to get through the process now. But in the end, there is this glorious hope that we have in our blessings in knowing God. So with all that said, let's begin looking together at verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Simon, of course, was one of the 12 disciples, uh, and he says here that he is a bondservant. Uh, This is the same word used for slave uh, in the New Testament. And so he's a slave of Christ. This, This means that he's been set free from his sins and united savingly to Christ to be his servant. And the word apostle, as you probably know, is just the word indicating that they are sent out. They were sent out by God, the disciples, to proclaim and herald the gospel message. So Simon Peter is addressing the people as both Christ's bondservant and commissioned apostle of Jesus. And he says he's writing to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. And so this um, precious faith that we have obtained is something that we did not create ourselves in fact the word obtained there my footnote says it can be also translated received and the Greek word is, is actually only used a handful of times in the New Testament and it's, it's kind of surprising it's actually the same word in other places that's translated for casting lots and so you might think what in the world does, does that have to do with this um, but the idea is that we have been allotted or given by the righteousness of Christ, as it says, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, a like precious faith. So this has been appointed to us in God's mercy and kindness through the work of Christ. Even our faith is a gift from God. And so this is not something, in one sense, that we on our own merely opted into right god chose us god called us to this right this is one of the great blessings itself of knowing god that he chose us that he called us that he elected us and brought us into his kingdom and that should encourage us to persevere in the faith in and of itself right if if he's called you to this if he's chosen you to be his bondservant don't forsake that push on persevere through all trials and difficulties these elect exiles as it says in first peter Needed need to hear these words to continue in the faith. Young children, you're blessed to be raised in families that know and love the Lord and in a church that teaches you about Jesus. This, too, is part of the blessings of knowing God, that in God's covenant and God's purposes, you've been brought to, to parents born into a family that is going to teach you about Christ. You are part of a church that will teach you about Christ as well. And so we pray also that you, too, will have a like, precious faith. And notice that this like-precious faith is the same as those that the apostles have. That's how precious it is. It is of equal standing. It is of equal value and worth. There's no second or third class uh, Christians in the kingdom of God. We all stand before the Father uh, with equal footing, all by grace, all through Christ, and all as one people. And so, again, think about the encouragement to these Christians facing persecution. You know, Nero, the Roman emperor, is about, and, and he would light up Christians in his garden parties to you know, blame them for all sorts of things. Um, to know that their faith, the Christians facing this persecution, is of the same standing as that with the apostles, who were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Christ, that's an encouraging thing. To receive that epistle, to hear that encouragement, their faith was allotted to them, given to them, and will strengthen them because God is strengthening them and working within them because they know him truly because he's made himself known to them. Now while we are not apostles, we are servants of Christ our King. We too are bond servants. We've not been called and chosen as apostles, but we have been allotted a like precious faith to be his servants. This is a rich and wonderful blessing because This comes only through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This cannot be created of ourselves. And so with this in mind, verse 2 says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we have the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God and Savior both refer to Christ there. It's one particle. It's, It's Jesus indicating he is divine and man. And it's in him, by his righteousness, and growing in knowledge of him, as it says in verse 2, that grace and peace is multiplied to us. Uh, we cannot grow uh, in the Lord without knowing the Lord. Uh, that that's, makes a lot of sense, I think. Uh, if we don't know God, if we don't study his word, then we will not increase in grace and peace. And so we can think of a lot of things that we may need in our lives at this moment, but rarely. Do we uh, not need to pray to God, study his word, draw near to him? That always will strengthen us in faith and godliness. Now, I just want to kind of again talk to the children here. We have many of them. Children, do you ever get presents at Christmas? And do you, if you do, and I I would assume you do, (laughs) uh, do you earn those gifts? Do you get them because your parents say, you know, it's a year-end tax-deductible earned reward? Probably not, right? You don't even know what tax-deductible is, but it's something that your parents graciously give you because they love you. Well, likewise, your salvation in Christ, who is the greatest gift to have the forgiveness of your sins, that was not earned. It was a gift that you and I did not really deserve, and yet it's given to us anyways because we have a Father who loves us, as you have Parents who love you, your Heavenly Father loves you as well. And as fun as the toys and games that you may get are, uh, they pale in comparison to the blessing of knowing God, knowing Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we pray again that we would all grow in our knowledge of Him. Christ, He was born as a man to obey God the Father for you. He died to pay for your sin, and He lives again to give you new life and a new love for God and His Word. And so if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart to make you holy and to strengthen you as a Christian to love God more and more. And so it's by that work of the Spirit, as we know God, that, as verse 2 says, grace and peace is multiplied to us in our knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Now the word grace, this includes a greater knowing of or a gratefulness for our salvation in Christ. As we know the Lord more, we see more um, it's like climbing a mountain and seeing more of the glory of our salvation, of what Christ has done for us, and it, it humbles us, it moves us, it encourages us to to grow as Christians, and then to live more graciously to others, more kindly and compassionately, uh, and, and 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 lovingness to others as well. Uh, the word peace it has the idea of well wholeness, but a greater sense of security in the Lord, right? Peace. When you have peace, you're not afraid. Uh, You're protected on every side from the Lord in Christ. If God is for us, nothing can stand against us. And so as you grow in your knowledge of salvation, you grow in grace and peace and comfort in the Lord. So the Christian life really is is all about knowing God more and more. And as we do that, God's going to cause this exponential and experiential, which is really just to say, I lived out knowledge of the Lord, right? We can talk about the Christian faith, but if we're not living and walking faithfully, then we're not ultimately growing, are we? It has to begin in our heads, in our hearts. We have to understand it. We have to love it in our hearts, but then that should lead to action, right? It's head, heart, hands, that that process that, that comes as the Christian grows in grace and godliness, We can read a a manual cover to cover to figure out how to build something, and we may have it all figured out in our head after reading it, and then we go to actually build it and do it, and it it just doesn't work. (laughs) Or we may not read it at all and just figure it out better that way sometimes. Well, the same can be true with the Bible. We can read it cover to cover, think we understand, but then we go to live faithfully and we find, hmm, I really just don't quite understand what the Bible is saying here, or when I go to do this, the outcome is not what I expected. What is, what is the point? Well, a couple of things. One, when we go to serve the Lord and walk by faith, we really are walking by faith and not by sight, right? It's, it's, the outcome isn't always what we hope. God has promised that there will be hardship and persecution as well. That doesn't mean that it's not working. It just may mean that God is facing us with a particular trial in our life Uh, But he's going to see us through it. And so that's another blessing and promise of knowing God, that he will see us through the trials and the storms. Um, But we should not grow weary of well-doing, right? Scripture tells us that. We should not lose heart. We should press on. Sometimes we have to just keep on keeping on, living faithfully, and in time we will see the blessing and the reward of that. We don't get the fruit from... The garden, the very first day we plant it, we may not see any growth, we may think the the plant or whatever is going to die, and yet sometimes we're pleasantly surprised. And so as we take the Word of God, as we know Him, as we seek to walk faithfully over time, grace and peace will be multiplied to us. It may not happen quickly or immediately, but steadily and surely it will occur. And so the the point from this is that we are not fully maturing spiritually until our increased knowledge does bear fruit and we walk with the Lord. And so we don't want to just be egghead Christians. We want to walk faithfully in the knowledge of the Lord. Now, Jesus in John chapter 17, verse 3, he's praying to the Father there before he goes to the cross, and he says that eternal life is knowing the Father and the Son. And so in a real sense, even in heaven, we're going to continue to, to grow in grace and peace. I mean, it's, it's an interesting picture. You know, our, our cup is full in heaven, and yet it's like our cup is ever expanding. It's like a, a balloon full of the knowledge of God, but it's ever growing and spreading, and that's what like heaven is, is going to be like. This ever-increasing grace and peace being multiplied to us, and it, but always in a full state. It's it, it boggles the mind, but it's the blessing that we have in heaven. But even now, wrestling against sin, we can Stretch the the balloon of our heart and mind to grow in grace and godliness and be filled with the Lord because in Christ we have entered spiritually into the heavenly places even and so we can grow now and so then do you desire to grow in grace and peace what do we need to do practically as far as putting uh, the rubber meeting the road here well we need to meditate upon the Lord we need to study his word pray to him fellowship with one another these are ways that we can put faith into practice right being hospitable to one another meeting each other's needs bearing with one another um, we, we pray each lord's day together for our country our nation and the individuals in here as we make our requests known to one another um, we can encourage one another these are all practical ways to live out our faith among the people of god and so this is how grace and peace is multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And notice in verse 3, it's, it's really all a continuation, one, one thought here. So verse 2, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So it's this divine power, his Christ, divine power, that has given us all that we need to live faithful lives to him. All that, we, all that pertains to life and godliness. right? So we have the knowledge, but we need the power. And God has given us the knowledge in Christ and the power, this divine power, which is the Holy Spirit. His divine power is the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. It's not some mystical force. Uh, the divine power is... God the Holy Spirit. And so, this powerful working of the Spirit within us illuminates or reveals and helps us understand better God's Word. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It sheds light upon God's Word. Right? Our minds are darkened with sin. Uh, we don't fully understand God's Word if the Holy Spirit doesn't help us to understand it. Right? The Holy Spirit, in a sense, is the illuminator or the interpreter of God's Word for us. And that doesn't mean we act like we don't have brains <laughs> and that when we go to Scripture we look at it and say, well, I've got to wait for the Spirit to reveal this to me. No, it means that we study the Word as carefully as we can and ask God by His Spirit to help us understand it. And not just understand it, but really to understand it with a heart of faith, right? To understand it with a love for what it says. Uh, an unbeliever can have an intellectual understanding uh, to some extent of God's word but the understanding the spirit gives goes beyond just that and it gives us a um, a posture such that we love the word of God we come under the authority of the word of God by the power of the spirit and it it when it commands us when God's word commands us we heed the commands when it convicts us and calls us to repentance we repent when it encourages us we are encouraged the spirit applies the word of God in our hearts in that manner, in that fashion. And so when we know the Lord and the power that he has given us by his spirit within us, we see this is another great blessing. We are going to persevere because it is God working in us both to will and to do his good pleasure, as scripture says. And so, yes, the spirit works in our hearts, moves our hearts to love God, gives us all that we need to serve him in any situation we face. Right? Other, elsewhere in scripture it says that there's no temptation that is common to man that we are not able to withstand because of God working mightily within us. So the sufficiency comes from Christ alone and not by our own works and efforts. And so God's word speaks to all of life, right? If As it says in verse 3, this divine power is given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This isn't just, um, you know, sufficiency for uh, understanding the Bible, even. This is equipping for everything that we are facing in life. This is not, of course, to say that if you're learning a particular trade or job that you, you don't have to train and learn from others. You do. The Spirit's not going to supernaturally just give you skills to be a great carpenter or something like that. But God's word does give us the conviction to push through any trial that we face. And so if God says, go and work, you know, serve the Lord with gladness, you're going to have the spirit, the conviction to pursue that and to do that. And you can trust and bank on God providing for you in any situation that you face. Sometimes that provision may come in the form of your job, your work, blessing, you know, financially, abundantly. Sometimes it may be very sparse, and you have to have the church to help you. But God ministers through his people in the congregation, mercy ministry, and things like that as well. But the blessing, the takeaway, is that God in his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And it's through the knowledge of him, it says, who called us by glory and virtue. This is by God's own Glory and virtue. He has called us, He has chosen us, He will equip us to serve Him. He will not leave us as orphans, He will not leave us naked and afraid. So we must trust Him for that. The verse I always think about when I'm struggling to trust the Lord as I ought to for my daily bread, for my needs, is uh, Matthew 6. 33, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you, and all these things is the bodily needs of life. Um, that's, to me, a tremendously encouraging verse, and I, I trust it is to you as well. If you seek first God and his kingdom, serving his purposes, he is going to take care of you. We don't ever have to compromise or say, well, it's either serving God or going naked. No, it's we serve the Lord and and one way or another, he will provide. It says, so we see the divine power working in us. We can trust him faithfully, day by day, for all of our needs. And of course, the other part here is, is godliness, right? Godliness. We, we can resist sin. We can push on to holiness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. And so we see some of these blessings of knowing God In the first three verses here, God gives the blessings of grace, peace, and godliness through our knowledge of the Father and Jesus, his Son. If we know him truly and know the power at work within us of the Holy Spirit, we know that we have grace, we have peace. What can man do to me? And now, looking at our second point here in verse four, God gives the blessings of grace, peace, and godliness through the rich promises we possess in Christ. And so we look here at verse 4. It says, and again, this is all, it's one continuous thought here. It's all one big long sentence, really, in verses 2 through 4. And so it says, By which it is by God's divine power and in the knowledge of him, by this, by which, have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. We have all that pertains to life and godliness. We know the Lord. And in knowing the Lord, in Christ, he has given us exceedingly great and precious promises. And it is through these, through these promises, that you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, there's, there's a lot of things in this one verse to, to talk about. Uh, it's not easy or apparent on the surface, perhaps, what it means to be a partaker of the divine nature. Uh, but we're going to see that in just a second here. But the point is that faith in Christ receives Christ, and when we receive Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit in us and His, that is Christ, Spirit-given precious promises. And all of this conforms us into the likeness of God, into the divine nature once more. Right? We were originally created to be the image-bearers of God, God says, let us make man in our own image, after our likeness. Right? So this participation, this partaking of the divine nature, really, is being restored in Christ to be more truly human <laughs> than you've ever been. Right. Because now we are, in Christ, freed from sin, and free to live like him once more. So there's sort of this paradox where, when we become partakers of the divine nature... We become more truly human than ever before, more truly made in his image, as we were called to be, upright before him and not in sin. That's the power of the Spirit working in us, that we bear his image well once again, obeying his commands and so on and so forth. And so when it says we become partakers of the divine nature, this does not mean that we become little gods. Uh, You may think of... Uh, The Mormons, I believe, who speak of, uh, you know, in heaven, we sort of become deified. That's that's not what's being talked about here. But again, truly image bearers, truly human, not corrupted and tainted by sin any longer, now united to that heavenly man, Christ Jesus. For in union with Christ, indeed, we are united to this God-man. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He has taken on flesh. He is now in heaven in his glorified body, that is who we are united to. And Christ from heaven is molding us into his image, sanctifying us by his word and spirit, leading us to live godly lives that reflect the divine nature, that's full of grace toward others and peace with God and man. And so it is these precious promises that we should focus on now, if we become partakers of the divine nature through these exceedingly great and precious promises. What are some of these great and precious promises? Well, we could spend all day scouring scripture and and finding many of them, but a few of them that I have listed here. One, pardon of all our heinous sin. Your sins have been forgiven. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. We have received Christ himself and the Holy Spirit, Luke 24, 49. In Christ and his spirit, We're enabled to fight against and progressively overcome sin. Galatians 5, the spirit uh, wars against the flesh and the flesh against the spirit. I believe it's Romans 12 says that we are being renewed in our minds after the image of God and knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And Romans 6 says we're freed from the bondage to sin. These are promises, but they're also possessed promises, right? We have them now. It's not just a future promise. It will be more true and more fully received when Christ returns, but even now we have victory, a measure of victory over sin. We have the Holy Spirit now, and so on and so forth. Also, First John 3 tells us that the Father, through Christ, loves us as his own children. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God. We are adopted into his family as his people, and as such we are united to his body, the church, the people of God, the fellowship of the saints. And he gives us, he promises to give us his kingdom, the fullness of it, the renewed heavens and earth. All of these things are ours in Christ. That's why I chose that quote from Calvin in our opening about how, in a real sense, Christ, God through Christ, gives us everything. Everything becomes ours in him. And, and that alone should, should bring us to our knees to worship him in, in gratefulness and gratitude. I mean, you can't have a much greater blessing than to receive the universe through Christ. And it says we are joint heirs, co-heirs with him. Now, the, the last clause here in verse 4... It says, we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Well, this helps define the sense, again, in which we become partakers of the divine nature. It's through godliness. It's through putting on Christ in righteousness by his power, by the spirit, this divine power. And resisting lusts, the desires for sin, the corruption, as it says there, that is in the world. That's that the wickedness that is out there. And it's out there because of lust, because of our own sinful heart desires and even as Christians we still have this this indwelling sin these heart lusts but although they're active in us they're not enslaving us as Christians for we have the Spirit of God overcoming them in us and so what must we do we must trust the promise that we have in Christ that we will one day be glorified we must believe and when you put it like this it's not hard to believe that the Holy Spirit is stronger than our sin, right? There's the old hymn, Grace That Is Greater Than All My Sin. It's probably in our hymnal. Well, um, we've got to believe that. We've got to believe that He who is working in us is greater than the devil, is greater than all our wicked thoughts and deeds. But this is a promise that He will work in us and through us and sanctify us. This is a great blessing of knowing God. Remember, again, who is Peter writing to? He's writing to people. They need to be reminded of this. Temptation is everywhere for them. The urge to deny the faith, just to get along, to go along, to get along, is, is very present. You know, if you see, you know, you fled persecution so that you don't get lit up on a pole, burnt alive, and then you're wondering if they're gonna come and find you, come and chase you down, think about the pressure at that point of time to, you know, uh, give a pinch of incense to Caesar. Right? I'll just give a little in- incense to Caesar. Just recognize him as a God, and you can keep worshiping your God. Right? Well, we can't do that. We worship Yahweh, the one true God, Him and Him alone. Well, Peter is writing and encouraging them you have the Holy Spirit working in you, you have all things that pertain to life and godliness. You know the Lord. You know him because you have a like precious faith with him that we, the eyewitnesses, the apostles have. Don't lose hope. Press on in godliness. And brothers and sisters, if if they could press on by the power of the Spirit, surely we can. I don't know anybody who's being lit up for their faith yet in this nation. I know churches that are being locked down in Canada, um, and I'm encouraged by their faithfulness. Uh, so let us be faithful unto the end as well now what is this process by which we are conformed to the image of God right? it's, it says that we have escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust which means we are being conformed and renewed in the image of God day by day uh, perhaps children this is a helpful picture again um, I'm sure you've played with Plato I like Plato sometimes I don't play with it as much now that I'm an adult but, you know, sometimes with my kids. Well, have you ever taken one of the little animal molds or shapes and you press it into the Play-Doh? Now you've got an elephant or a tiger or whatever you like. Well, something similar is happening as God works in your heart. He is taking the Word of God and, and pressing it into you. And you're kind of like the Play-Doh, right? We are the clay. God is the potter. God is the maker. And, and we are being molded by him. And so you you like to make shapes and animals and so on. Well, God likes and desires to, to conform you to his image, to make him like you by taking the Bible and working that, pushing that, if you will, into your heart so that you love him more and more. And I pray that this will be an encouragement to you. And so some final application and exhortations here. Don't forget the powerful blessings that you have in Christ. Uh, 2 Peter 2 verses 1 through 2 tells us there's many uh, embracing heresy, sinful lifestyles. In fact, they, uh, the false teachers go on and say, where is this promise of his coming, right? There, that's another big promise. Christ is going to return, right? Jesus promises that. He's going to fix all sin and injustice. If we're faithful, he's going to return. Well, some were saying, where is the promise of his coming, right? Some may say that today. It's been 2,000 plus years, right? Well, they're saying that just you know, decades or or less after he had, you know, been received back up into glory. where is this promise of his coming? Second Peter three, four says, for since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so they're saying, let us eat, drink and be merry. Christ isn't going to come back in judgment. His promises are bunk. So let's just live on for sin and it, it won't make any difference. Well, chapter 2 of 2 Peter is all about the doom and destruction of these false teachers, that they lead many astray, they have eyes full of adultery, they are cursed children, indicating even that some of them are in the church, right? They began with us, but then they departed from us, from the fold of God. Well, think about that. The people of God, not only are they facing heresies without, but heresies within, right? The church is one foundation, Please think about that. They're facing all these trials and difficulties, and yet they're told to persevere and that they can and they will how is that possible humanly speaking it's not possible both god and christ all things are possible his spirit is working in us well examples of certain false teachers today are those who downplay or outright deny that believers need the law of god since we have grace and forgiveness Right? This is cheap grace, is what it's called sometimes, or the more technical term is anti-nomianism against the law. But a new covenant blessing is that the law is written on our heart. Jeremiah 31 talks about this, Hebrews 8 and 10, so that we can obey and keep the law. Now, sadly, others, um, I've seen this in Southern Baptist churches and the PCA that I came out of, uh, they're embracing uh, wicked lifestyles, homosexuality, um, they're getting clever and subtle with it, kind of like Satan, right? Saying that you can live a gay but celibate lifestyle and be faithful with that. As long as you don't act on these desires, you can have sort of the ethos and uh, you know, you can talk with a lisp, you can walk like this, and you can act like this, you can even live with someone of the same sex, but as long as you're not physically involved, God has no problem with that. Well, that's not true. That's not difficult to demonstrate from Scripture, but we won't go into that right now. Right? We must repent even of our heart's affections. Even if we think that we were born with them, or even if we just discover them within us, it's something that we must confess and ask God to, to kill in our hearts and, and grow us in godliness. Other false teachers are the Joel Osteen types who say we're going to live our best life now, who tell us everything's fine and you don't really have to worry about Sin or judgment or any of this um, and just just live it up and and live at large. These are all false teachings that are prevalent in our church today. We turn church into sort of a self-help message. But remember, you have great and precious promises of new life sealed by Christ's blood. You are redeemed for greater things than this. You are redeemed to serve the Lord with glad hearts. But practically and very day to day terms, it's it's hard to see that, isn't it? We can be rude to our family and friends. We can disparage our co workers. Some of you are co workers in here, <laughs> uh, who get under your skin, perhaps. You can become lazy and selfish when you're tired, and jealous of others. You come home from work and the kids are cranky and you're cranky and, and there's not much love of Jesus going around at that time. Well remember these promises that you have in Christ. Remember forgiveness that He's given us. Remember that we are his children, we sin regularly against him, and yet he still loves us and is patient with us. I have to be patient with my children, especially under circumstances when their mom's not around, and I have to remember their little hearts and, and not get so angry with them and frustrated with them. And so we all need grace. We all need his mercy and his strength and power, power to persevere 2 Peter, this whole book, and even in these verses, shows plainly that we are free from bondage to sin, and we have all we need to live godly lives. So don't forget this power working mightily within you. And let us conclude with these words from Romans chapter 6, verses 12-14. through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, But present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all that is needed for life and godliness, that through knowledge of you and in the righteousness of Christ, we have a like precious faith even with your apostles that day by day grace and peace is multiplied in our hearts and our minds and, and we can extend that grace and peace to other, to others, Lord. We have all these rich blessings in you. And as your word goes on in Second Peter to add all these virtues and, and ultimately all of this to yield and produce love for you and love for one another, Lord. Help us to be fruitful as your people, in your kingdom, walking with you day by day. We pray that we would do this until we gather again next Lord's Day. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us respond to the Lord in song, singing together Psalter Hymnal number 275, Arise, My Soul, Arise.